Hello, and welcome back to They Made Another One, where each week we scour the depths of franchise cinema, discussing both the treasures and horrors we find. I'm one of your hosts, Corey. And I'm your other host, Liam. And this week, we discussed a movie that, potentially for the first time in our show's brief history, I would describe as genuinely good. <laughs> and that movie is 2010, The Year We Make Contact, which is the sequel to a movie that likely needs no introduction, 2001 A Space Odyssey, Kubrick's classic sci-fi space, vaguely surrealist ending. It's one of the most iconic movies ever made. I don't need to explain 2001 to you all. Uh, but 2010 is directed by Peter Hyams, and it's based on another Arthur C. Clarke book in what I believe is now a several book series. He just kind of kept going, and it carries on... Uh, the story pretty directly from the original. It stars Roy Scheider, John Lithgow, Helen Mirren, Bob Balaban, and Keir Delea, who is uh, David in the first movie. It's got a lot to kind of unpack. It's similarly sci-fi heady in the way that 2001 is. But before we get too into it, Liam, what is your experience with 2001 A Space Odyssey? <sighs> Um, well, it's a movie I've heard about all my life, for sure, but I certainly haven't um, been familiar with it all my life. I, uh, I saw it for the first time a year or two ago. Um, I think I had always wanted to see it, but I knew it would be a big undertaking, right? So I didn't want to stream it, you know, on my laptop and... Um, I knew that I was really going to have to give myself over to it. And so I wanted to be in the right frame of mind when I saw it. And I knew that it was a film that released in theaters and would play in theaters um, semi-often in cineplexes and stuff. And so I was in St. John's, Newfoundland, and um, I saw that it was playing at a theater. I was on vacation for a week, and it was playing at the cineplex for it might have been an anniversary or something. This was a summer or two ago, and I went to the theater, and I sat down, and I watched it. It was in, um, what is it, 60 millimeter, 70 millimeters, 70. 70 millimeter. It was in 70 millimeter. It had an intermission in the middle. Um, That's so cool. And it was wicked. Yeah, I saw it. I saw it on the big screen, and um, I, I was, I was sort of floored, um, you know, by all these iconic images and. Um, sequences that i've seen referenced so much and so i thought it would be difficult for me to take it seriously you know i've seen spongebob parody it and i've seen mm. recess parody it and um but by the end of it you know i was i was totally into it and um the ending remains one of the scariest things i've ever seen i know a lot of people find comfort in it but it terrifies me i, I i'm very scared by things that are that are huge that are larger than than life and uh and i thought it was a very yeah, and so I thought it was a very scary movie, but but I certainly I loved it. I don't know a lot about it. Um, I you know I I still didn't go home and I didn't read for hours about it, and I haven't seen it since. So um, it's really just the images that have stuck with me. But but uh, I certainly it's it's a it's a it's a movie that um, I, I hold in pretty high regard, especially under the circumstances that I saw it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm really jealous that you got to see that theatrically it's something that i've always tried to get myself to but i can't always find the time or have my schedule line up when it is playing in a cineplex or something like that to go make the trip but that would be 
that'd be like a wild experience. I'm really, I'm glad you got to do that. Um, Thank you. Yeah, man. That's, it's just really cool. It's like, it's like when I got to see Blade Runner in theaters, like the first one. And I was just mm-hmm. like, this is a diff, this is a quantifiably different experience than seeing it at home. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. And for me, I, uh, it really does feel like when you first watch 2001, it's like you're crossing a Rubicon in your life as someone who loves movies. It's like, this is a big deal. You want to mark it on the calendar. You want to know that it's coming. And I didn't go through quite as much preparation as you. I watched it at home. Um, I streamed it, uh, but on like a television. So I at least kind of had that going for me. And... I remember that similarly to Blade Runner for me, actually, which I think is another kind of moment for me that I see as a step in my loving movies and wanting to take them more seriously, uh, which is that I remember in both of those movie-watching experiences the first time loving the production design and being really, really bored. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And that might be because I was young, not to say that all young people like can't appreciate a good movie whipper snappers like none of that shit but like i remember it i hadn't ever really seen a movie that was that long and or that slow and that patient um and i think there's a chance maybe some of the tension inherent in that was lost on me as somebody who maybe didn't have the attention span for it at the time but i also remember it being profound in just like recognizing things that you can do with a movie and knowing that it's so that it was so old for me then and how good it looked and how good it felt to be in even if i was maybe bored and a few years later i went back to it and a lot of the boredom was gone and i was pretty much enthralled which is a similar thing actually that happened to blade runner that time i did see it in theaters was the moment that kind of flicked the switch for me and i was like oh this is a this is a deeply, deeply compelling movie beyond looking real pretty. And um, yeah, that's what made it so exciting to approach 2010, a movie that comes out 16 years later in the in the winter of 1984. And for all its qualities, maybe one of the biggest things that 2001 has going for it is being kind of undecipherable or enigmatic mysterious any word you want to use for it like difficult to understand or open to a lot of interpretation and i can imagine there being trepidation from audiences maybe or at least filmmakers to be like you're gonna do you're gonna do another one Mm, yeah what gives you the right yeah well and it's funny that you say that because i was doing some reading after i watched 2010 and the director uh peter hyams he uh approached Kubrick before making it to get his blessing and uh to quote the Wikipedia page here he more or less said quote sure go do it I don't care and another time he said quote don't be afraid just go do your own movie and this was because Arthur C. Clarke after publishing the novel jokingly didn't really want a movie made and then wanted a movie made after publishing the sequel novel. Yeah, after publishing the sequel novel, originally he didn't want to adapt it, but then MGM worked out a contract to adapt it, and Kubrick didn't want it. So, right. Hyams before making it, you know, it, it'd be like, well, this isn't a perfect parallel because he's not with us anymore, but it'd be like being like, I'm going to make Citizen Kane 2, and it's going to be about his son 
Citizen Kane Jr. Oh, what's his name? Charles Foster Kane. That's his name. I couldn't remember his name. <laughs> you know, that guy, Citizen Kane. He's that one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and I think, I think there's a lot of things in this movie that rule super hard. But I want to ask you, actually, I've never asked you this, I feel like. I don't know if we've ever had this conversation. Before I ask you about this movie, are you a big sci-fi person? Um, no, not really. Um, I like when sci-fi crosses over with horror, but even then, it's not sci-fi horror isn't one of my favorite subgenres. And so, um, no, a lot of times it, it just gets too talky for me which is strange because i love i love films that are just people talking but like on earth though right like when <laughs> when like when they're talking about like all these all these heady concepts and stuff and you know the idea of what's out there um a lot of times it's just yeah i can't i can't really um put myself into it you know like i feel like i would get just as much out of like reading the wikipedia page or something right which which is a which is a shame but like that's that's just to say that i like the questions that sci-fi poses um but i just don't i don't i don't have it in me to um you know it just it, it hasn't it hasn't been something that i've grown into just yet and maybe it'll happen right but well but not, I just, not everything it, has to be for everybody but one thing i'm curious about before we get into 2010 is like is part of it that the heady concepts and like the strange technology and the techno babble that kind of comes with it. Does it make it hard to believe in the stakes because it's just so abstracted from like regular life that it feels distant? Is that part of it? Or Yeah, that might be, that might be it, you know, because, because I love, I love stories that, that feel real. Um, even in horror, you know, my favorite my favorite stories are, are things that can actually happen. Um, you know, like I like home invasion stuff uh, more so than than ghosty stuff. And so, lock your doors, everybody. Um, Liam loves home invasions. Yeah, and so it, yeah, it might just be that like I can't I can't really relate to these stories, and um, and you know they're drawn from real life, but it's still it's not close enough for me, and so. So it doesn't, it just doesn't land as well with me. You know, like I think, I think I, I never got into the Jetsons for the same reason because what about beyond. The, what about the Flintstones? The Flintstones, I'm more, I'm more <laughs> into the, I'm more into the Flintstones, but even then the Flintstones, it's like dinosaurs, like they, they couldn't really do that. And also all know? the dinosaurs are just technology. Like, no, that pterodactyl is not a record player. Like what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Um, well, that's interesting because I'm a big sci-fi person. Um, yeah. I'm fairly new to like really heady sci-fi. Um, and, you know, this may, this is nowhere near as heady and poetic as 2001 is, I don't think. But it's in the ballpark. Uh, but that's something I've really grown to love a lot. And I really enjoy the sort of... the I enjoy the abstraction of space and the distance of space and being... Putting familiar things or familiar people into those situations and then them not even knowing feeling like they're having a conversation i would have where it's like what what even is this but before we unpack that can of worms too much knowing that this isn't necessarily your bag what did you think of 2010 um 
Well, what I was wrestling with the most is as someone who really likes 2001, and I think I like it because um, it just gives me so much space to think on my own. Mm. There's not, there's really not a lot to follow, right? Like you're just, you're looking at the images and whatever you draw from them is cool. Whereas this movie, uh, there's a lot of talking and like, it's almost like there's more of a point to it, which is strange to say because what I was wrestling with throughout the entire movie is just like like going into a movie that's a sequel to 2001 i'm like what is the point to this movie right hmm. and so because it's a movie that's based on a novel from the get-go i kind of know okay um this this has this has reason to exist you know the actual author who worked in tandem with stanley kubrick on 2001 he had more to say so so i guess there's there's more to say and so um in this movie, I I really respected the way it continued the story from 2001, and the way it it didn't um, it didn't try to step over what 2001 did, and it certainly didn't try to do it again. But it looked at what 2001 did and some of the things it might have been saying, and and it it's this really cool companion piece that is more of that story, which I really respected. Um, and enjoyed for a lot of the movie um but yeah honestly like maybe in the last half hour or something the movie i started i started to um to, i started to lose it a bit you know i started to get a bit bored which is just i really hate saying that criticism right cuz it's it just it feels like it's more it's certainly a reflection of my experience, but it, it feels like it's more my fault than the movie's fault is getting bored. Like, I don't think well, that's like what always is true? Like, I think it's certainly fair to say the movie stopped being compelling to you in such a way that you got bored, and that's not necessarily your own fault. It's it's the fault yeah. of how you in the movie subjectively interact, but not like it can be the movie's fault that it's boring. Um, yeah, but I'll let you finish that, before you. No, that that's a better that's a really that's a better way to put it, honestly. Because I just I feel bad because like I don't really get bored in like my everyday life, right? Like there's always so much to do and like so much to think about, and it's just so so saying a movie is boring. It's like there's stuff happening in front of the screen, like on the screen in front of you, and so there's just it's it's really difficult to actually get bored by a movie. Um, that's the way I feel. But yeah, in this case, I just I didn't enjoy. I didn't end up enjoying the movie as much as I thought I would in the beginning. Um, but I still think, I do think it's really, really cool that it exists. And I love that it exists for people who are sci-fi fans and who really want more of this. Because I think it gives more in a really respectful, compelling way. But I think what it comes down to in my case is just that it's not particularly to my tastes. Yeah, and I mean, you know, I think I agree with a lot of what you said. I think at the end of the day, I'm just more enthusiastic about it because it's up my street a little bit more in that way, like genre-wise. And also, we'll get into the ending later, that last 30 minutes, because there's a lot, there's a lot there. <laughs> there's a lot there. Um, yeah. And I think it might, it sounds like it might have held me a little bit more than you, but I definitely kind of, it drifts, but I, I really do think that for the disaster that this could have been, this is exceptional. Absolutely. Um, yeah, and I agree. there's a lot about it that I really love. 
Um, it's weird because you go in and you kind of recognize as an audience member that there's no way they can just try to make another 2001. So they don't. And I think the thing about this movie that I really like is that they basically took heady existential sci-fi and a Cold War thriller and just kind of shoved them together. Mm. And it really clicks in a way that I didn't think it would. And I certainly don't think it should. But I found it really compelling juxtaposing sort of the realities of Earth and the realities of space or the realities of the thing that they're dealing with. Um, I I feel like I got a lot out of that. There was a lot for me to sort of think through as I was watching. And I think it's just compelling to contrast things that are of such a different scale. I also think that another way it really lives up to the first movie is in production design. It's beautiful and all the sets are great. Every ship looks great. Like it's, it's in that 60s sci-fi lineage where everything's got big buttons and really bold colors on these buttons and a lot of neon and the movie washes itself in red sometimes. And, you know, it kind of feels like, at times it almost feels like you color splashed like this set from alien and it's got a sheen to it, but there are moments where it definitely feels kind of as claustrophobic and cut off before we go too for too much further. I'll briefly summarize the plot. Um, it's fairly straightforward. Um, basically what it comes down to is that, uh, one of the heads of the mission that we see in the first movie is Dr. Haywood Floyd in this movie played by Roy Scheider. And he is the head of the national council for astronautics. And the Soviet union basically approaches him and says, look, we both want to go back to discovery, which is the ship near Jupiter. We're going to beat you there. You may as well come with us so we can figure out what happened here and not limit each other's understanding of this despite the political situation which is that um in central america and honduras there's a blockade and a lot of political and military tension uh that sort of heightens everything and after getting through the bureaucracy of the white house and presumably the kremlin uh the mission is okayed and scheider along with an engineer um and dr chandra who was the architect of hal um, they go with a crew of Russian astronauts and scientists and engineers. They fly to Discovery and Jupiter. Um, and on Europa, one of Jupiter's moons, they discover mysterious things related to a monolith that is there in that space. And the situation just kind of escalates from there as they try to investigate more of what happened. There are apparitions of David Bowman from the first film who seemingly has been subsumed into the monolith in some way. Uh, it begins collapsing the planet Jupiter and sending messages to Earth. And you really can't read if, you know, it's benevolent or malevolent. This is like a deeply tense movie for me. I found myself stressed often about what was going to happen because I didn't really know where Arthur C. Clarke was at with kind of what he wanted to do with this story and the tone it was necessarily going to have. So all of that is to say that um, they sort of try to increasingly solve the mystery of what this life is, what this monolith means, and through these interactions, they're sort of forced to evacuate 
as Jupiter collapses into a star because of the power of these monoliths, but are left with um, an anti-war message that seems large enough in scale to kind of diffuse the situations at home, realizing how much there is in space compared to their petty now political disputes. And that message at the end is, all these worlds are yours except Europa. Attempt no landing there. Use them together. Use them in peace. And that's the note that the movie leaves you with. This very humanist and optimistic, like, message of unity in this, in the presence of something much greater. And so with the plot sort of established, we can kind of get into more about how the movie goes about getting there. So I, I'm kind of curious what you felt about, you know, starting on Earth and setting up, like, who these characters are are resetting them up and sort of how we get to space before we dive into that stuff i loved it man i thought this opening scene where floyd is um is talking to the russian dude it's really good right it's so good fantastic it takes place snarky and yeah the dialogue is great and it takes place like you said in this great set you know floyd is up on this um that's location uh, shooting actually that's not a set I'll have you know. Oh, cool. Yeah. Wicked. That's something called um, the Very Large Array. It's like a bunch, it's just a bunch of like space satellites, I guess, or dishes. It's so cool. It looks, it looks great. And he's up on this, high up on this structure. And for a lot of it, he's there, he's talking down to the Russian guy. The Russian guy is talking up to them. And then they meet halfway. And um, there's just a lot of great dialogue there. They, there's this um, idea where they they play this game that's called the truth, right? Where they just they just tell each other the truth yeah, for a minute and a half. Toy with themselves. Yeah, and then they say, and then they say, uh, you know, you just got yourself a time extension. You know, we'll tell the truth for a bit longer. And I just I loved that dialogue. And then and then we cut to another shot of two characters talking in front of the White House, and it's just. It's it's absolutely a different approach from 2001. You know, it makes it clear from the very beginning. This is the political thriller. This is that right, DNA right, right, in this right. movie. It feels and very that genre. Yeah, and I, I totally dug that. And I guess um, in that way, it also, it sort of has the structure of 2001 in that, you know, 2001 is divided up into these three definitive um, sequences. You know, we have the sequences with the apes and then... And then we're on the ship with Hal, and then we get the the ethereal stuff at the end. Um, mm-hmm. And it doesn't it doesn't have those same categories, but it's like we start off on Earth, you know, and then we're at the ship, and then and then we have the fallout near the end, um, which I guess might just be like a, a more standard, you know. I guess more most films are constructed reliable in that way, structure. You know? in, I guess. Introduction, middle, end. But I I really I really dug it in this case. I think it would have been a lot. Um, they might have been more um it it might have seemed natural to like start in space and start with um you know start off with a bang with like some more iconic images or something well they and do that. they do do that and i do want to point out this movie starts with a recap of the original and it That's is true. the That's most true. it is the sickest most clever way to approach that I don't want to say tastefully. I don't want to put too fine a point on it. It's the best way to recap 2001, which is yeah. just, here's the mission report. Here's what you need to know. Here's the goal stated very bluntly by like computer text. Here's who was there. Here's what we think happened. Most of it's unknown. Here you go. And it's, yeah. it's stills overlaid with uh, typed like computer notes. 
and it immediately just throws you in like here we are here's what we're dealing with we're gonna go solve this now it's and super it just dives eerie. into that conversation it's super yeah and i was dude i was scared from the very beginning the right? music it helps opens, too a lot the music is so scary and it opens you know with all these unsolved mysteries like where where is bowman <laughs> what happened to the ship and like unsolved mysteries dude scare me so much and, and we and we start here with um the computer saying a good number of questions remain unanswered and i'm just like oh my god and then and then we cut to to this kind of snarky like aaron sorkin like conversation yeah. on the ground yeah, and I, I i was totally into it at the beginning man i loved it yeah and one thing i want to point out while we're on earth is that uh this is a weird future um because in in how it looks like how earth looks because a lot of it just looks like the 80s or a lot of it looks like what the rich 80s look like in movies like all the sets are really opulent it's got a lot of that similar decoration sensibility um like sometimes things will have like a greco-roman fixture like the house that uh dr floyd lives in um has a, a dolphin tank in it and lots of like swooping staircases and it's got that distinct sort of 80s design sensibility but with a sci-fi tinge of like these computers and in the computer lab with dr chandra we see like large monitors bright buttons again it's a very bulky technological future but it doesn't feel like it lacks sophistication sometimes uh you'll get a something i think alien again is a good example where it's like it's bulky but it's also a lot grungier and that makes it feel a little bit more uh, slapdash. But this, for all its size, still feels very sleek and very composed. And a lot of the decor, even that's not sci-fi related, feels very composed and contemporary to how that looks, at least on film. And I really love the feeling that it creates of, you know, what feels like a lived-in reality that is just tinged with this space stuff. And again, I love the distance that you feel because a lot of their early preoccupations are just on Cold War heating up, the blockade, things like that. And they just hint to like, well, I'm going to have to go back to Jupiter. And I appreciate that that's treated, not like it's not treated with seriousness, but it's treated as a fact of life. Mm -hmm. And the the juxtaposition of those things is something that I really loved. And if you don't have anything more to say about the earth stuff we may as well do what the movie does which is uh skip to the space part <laughs> sure like like it goes yeah. from like floyd longingly looking at his son to waking up in space <laughs> that's the cut yeah um it knows yeah. where it's going there's, um, a, there's a brief exercise montage before that, oh and it's and very good space. and can, i want to talk yeah. about his weird beach laptop that is like a full-size mechanical keyboard with a screen that folds like over top of it, yeah. <laughs> which is yeah, just yeah. extremely good. And a lot of the daycare is, decor is good. His wife um, is like a marine biologist, and she's just got like fucking fish tanks everywhere. Yeah, she knows how to decorate a house. <laughs> it's really good. But yeah, I mean, let's go to space. Um, I don't know if we necessarily have to tackle this super chronologically. The question I kind of want to pose is how you like you know i guess just how you feel about the way things feel on the ship because it's very different yeah no i totally loved the way things fe felt on the ship um 
my memory is that it's pretty close to uh, the way the ship was in 2001. Um, there, there's the, the talking is different. You know, we have a lot of Russia um, versus America stuff happening. But just in terms of the way the ship looks and, um, you know, I think it feels a lot like the ship from 2001. Yeah, I I love I love I love these ships because I will say to be clear, we go back to Discovery. We go back to the original ship and seeing that yeah. original ship just quick, it's wild. Like it feels it feels like it feels good to be home basically. Like seeing those sets again is really bizarre, but really, Yeah, and, really and they gratifying. had to reconstruct them, right? They had and to reconstruct like that uh where Hal's memories and everything with the glass hard drives like that red oh, it's, it's perfect it's chef's kiss but um i really like how it feels and i really like how it's presented there's a lot of wide shots and effective like group staging we have i don't know eight ten russian scientists and astronauts and then uh floyd is woken up first and then there's two other americans with him but you'll get a lot of moments where there's maybe a debate happening or something tense happening and you'll have people layered around a room all in a different way like this like there's people in the background or the foreground and the left and right um i think there's a really good moment like that after they attempt to get a probe onto europa where they're debating what to do next or what it is that they saw and Floyd is like off in the corner looking really sort of snotty with his foot kicked up. And you have Helen Mirren's character who is, um, pardon me, Tanya Kerbuk, uh, who is sort of head of the Russian delegation on this ship. And they're sort of snarking at each other about what to do. And she's sort of seated at this table with a few others. And there's some folks in the back in the front. And that feels really good. Like it feels like it knows what to do with a group. Also, it just... I don't know, man. It's just, it's so my shit. Just like the bright buttons, uh, the command centers are really like having seats up in the back top corners and big consoles in the middle and all these flashing lights. It just feels so nice to look at that. I Mm. really, I really just loved being there and seeing what people are doing. And, you know, it's got like, hibernation bays and like all these things that you kind of expect in sci-fi but even just something as simple as i remember when they wake lloyd up and i remember the iconography denoting the stations for each uh pod these hibernation pods and his his wasn't number six but you can see the number six on the wall and it's this really slick sci-fi looking font with a six and then jutting just into it is this red rectangle and they're on this white wall and everything down to just the logos things have feels so nice to look at and even there's more basic things too like the contrast between the dark olive green of the russian flight suits and the pale not quite pale blue but the lighter blue of the american ones is really good i feel like it really knew what it wanted to feel like in that ship and a lot of it's super tense and uncertain but the ship despite the circumstances feels like a place to be yeah well tell me um what you thought about all the russian american conflict that was happening on that on that ship because it's a really defining part of this movie that i was 
sort of surprised by. I was like, oh yeah, this this movie did come out. It shows that yeah. it came out, you know, 16 years after the original. And in the 80s. Yeah. Uh, sort of one of, you know, it's a peak of that tension. And, you know, there are moments where it feels like it's wearing a pro-US stance on its sleeve in a way that's patronizing. Um, it seems like, you know, oh yeah, Floyd's the guy with all the answers and he's kind of like a snarky shit about it. And it's like, oh, they should have just done the thing Floyd said, or he'll do a bunch of explaining, uh, and it'll be to folks who are like, yo, they like work in your field and do this too. Like they probably know this. Um, but I mean, aside from a couple of those moments, I think one of the things that I like about it is that the tension is as much Russian-American as it is we're here now in space. They're on Earth there. There's only so much we can do about that. Let's focus on the bigger picture. There's certainly a lot of tension between uh, Tanya and Floyd. Tanya being, Hel again, Helen Mirren's character. Um sort of butting heads and ideologically butting heads as well when they realize that they'll need to evacuate later um they've already been sequestered due to a war breaking out um on earth and she's like oh well to leave now would be a betrayal to russia and uh dr floyd is like yo who gives a shit like we got bigger problems well <laughs> it's it's bravery versus common sense right that's yeah that's how they set it up yeah and yeah. they i feel like they at least give opportunities where both feel like they're at work um it definitely wears a bit of that americanness on its sleeve but i that could pretty easily be just you know an artifact of the era in which it was made but i th i like the sort of parallel running lines of earth and earth versus space russia versus the u.s and there's a really great moment the moment where and i think this is when they've sent a probe to europa or they want to send a probe to europa i forget the specific circumstances oh it was right after floyd is woken up and he's trying to get information about them having found life signs there because that's unusual considering Europa is a giant ball of ice. And, um, there's a back and forth where he's trying to get information out of them regarding what's going on in space and their immediate sort of circumstances. And in response, he's being given information about the political situation in central America that's causing political strife. And I really liked that juxtaposition of how it's handling those different kinds of tensions at the same time, because there's the tension of the political thing is small scale in terms of space, but it's ultimately large enough to affect our characters and what they're able to do, but also juxtaposing it with there's a chance that we've just confirmed beyond a shadow of a doubt that there is extraterrestrial life on this ball of ice. Maybe this other thing isn't our biggest deal. And I like how it handles that tension both the political and the space without um, dipping too much into anything that feels sort of silly or very overtly like rah-rah Americans better than everybody shit. Um, and the other thing I wanted to sort of talk about was, and I think this will be a good segue into other stuff too, is there's also a lot of moments of 
not just unity, but also just humanity between folks that helps ground things. And the thing that I wanted to get to was they have to do a really complex maneuver around Jupiter. Like they need to slingshot themselves around basically using gravitational pull. And it's something that works on paper, but has never been done before. And I think rightfully so everyone's terrified and, um, Lloyd or Floyd, sorry, is like in his bunk and, uh, there's this woman on the ship who we've seen like once or twice who is just like sweaty, shaking, visibly horrified about the prospect of this just, you know, failing and killing everybody. And she like knocks on his thing and he opens the bed opens the door to the bed and they just kind of hold each other through this terrible experience. And there's a moment where it's, you know, do you speak English? No. And they just sit there and like quiet terror and wait for it to be over. And there's something really profoundly beautiful about that. And there's something that I really like about injecting humanity into a space that is, that feels very removed from that. Um, and I, I kind of want to know what sort of jumped out at you, not just, sort of on the political thematic level, but please feel free to talk about that, but also just sort of what these characters are like with each other. Cause there's a lot of good relationships. There's like, there's Floyd with John Lithgow's character. There's um, Dr. Chandra with Hal. There's uh, Roy Scheider and Helen Mirren. There's a bunch of great stuff there. So what jumped out at you? I think the scene that you pulled out is a great example of the humanity in the film. And those were some of my favorite moments. Um, some other ones that jumped out at me are when Floyd and John Lithgow, two American characters, are talking about what they miss on Earth. They, mm -hmm. they miss green yeah. and they miss hot dogs. And, and then they get into, um, you know, what kind of mustard is their favorite and, and where the best hot dogs are, right? These, these sort of specific things that, that you tend to talk about when you're just hanging out with someone and you have nothing else to do, right? And that was one of my favorite scenes in the movie. Another good one is when John Lithgow's character is out with um, Max out in outer mm, space. Yeah. And, and he's never done anything like this before, right? Neither of them have. But John Lithgow is handling it a lot worse than Max is. And so um, Max, Max is a Russian him, character, just to be clear. Yes, Ma Max is a Russian character. And... Um, and uh, John Lithgow is also being radioed too, and he says, "You know, I'm an engineer. This isn't the stuff I do. Um, so maybe you, maybe you should patronize me a bit." Which he had turned down about ten seconds ago. And so <laughs> Max, like Max, teaches him the uh, Russian word for chicken, and right. um, and John oh, Lithgow is repeating it to himself. Why that's funny. Why is it funny? Because they're calling him a chicken. Oh, <laughs> being a wimp. I didn't notice that. <laughs> I didn't realize that, uh, <laughs> we're, um, we're such idiots. <laughs> um, yeah, I thought I thought stuff like that was really cute. That was some of my favorite stuff. Where the movie sort of uh, stuck out to me in um, ways that I thought was was less cool <laughs> is um, the more overtly political stuff. Mm -hmm. um, the stuff you know where it's so clearly Russia versus America and that conflict and and who's you know it, it comes up as early as that opening conversation um, in the film which we both dug but at its core you know it's Russia versus America and that stuff just stuck out to me because 
I think it dates the movie quite a bit, which is a shame because 2001 isn't dated at all. And also, um, it's fine. It's fine to put that stuff in a movie, political stuff in a movie. I think I think it's awesome, and I think it's important to have movies that speak to the time that they're made in. But the thing with this movie is, is it is it doesn't take place in 1984, right? It takes place in 2010. It needs to be, it needs to be, if not timeless, you know, it needs to be as prescient as possible. And so, for to inject to inject the movie with something that is so 1984. I think is a shame and and it makes me think a lot about um if the movie needs to be a sequel to 2001 if it needs to take place in 2002 that's what I was or sorry 2010 that's what I was thinking about for most of the movie of the movie I'm wondering if this is just another space story that is simply managed to brand itself as a sequel to 2001 or does it only work as more of the 2001 story and where I ended up landing is that it absolutely needs to be part of the 2001 yeah, story. I, yeah, I was um, going to say the same. But I think, but I think the Russia um, America stuff is is the biggest is the biggest hindrance, and I think that feels the most out of place in the film. I don't agree completely with that. Uh, I think on the one hand, uh, it's maybe not as outdated as it once was. Uh, well, that's true. Yeah. Um, but we're past 2010, Corey. We are. We don't live in 2010 no more. But I think that one of the reasons I think so much of what the movie grapples with thematically works is because that tension is there and it feels so immediate to the situation and we have that historical precedent for it. And it never felt ham-fisted because I feel like had that, had those stakes not been there as well, reframing it in that politically tinged space thriller kind of way wouldn't work as well. So I think it's deeply tied enough to that in a way that it doesn't just feel like a product of its time because even if you interchanged the names of these characters and the nations that they're from or whatever, it would still function well. And that would be a helpful framework. I think the fact that it is rooted in something more specific is really more of a help than a hindrance, but you could definitely split either way on that. And I don't think there's a wrong way to look at it. Um, but what I do think this opens up the door to talk about is instead of talking about these folks as sort of like representatives of their nations and how that sort of plays out talking a bit about the science of this movie and also the magic of this movie, because there's clearly a lot of stuff that is just not in our purview. It's out of humanity's pay grade to understand. But, mm-hmm. um, I think this, we could do this a couple ways. I'll kind of let you take point on what you want to go with first. We could talk a bit about like the technology stuff sort of the ships and how they work and what they're doing and how people work with them. Or we could talk about the more experimental level of the movie, the more heady, the more, you know, one related to how and the monoliths and what's actually going on there. And I don't know which one of those sort of gets you more excited to talk about it, but I'm willing to start wherever because I think those are two things that have a lot there. 
Sure. Well, I think we're going to get to both. So why don't I let you lead the conversation in regards to the ships? Because um, sure. I think the monolith and Hal is is um, is certainly more fun and it's the bigger stuff. But I'd, it's the I'd ending, rather... right? Like that's the thing right. that we so, want to get so, to. Yeah. yeah, sure. So let's save that. So lead us into the ships because I think I think that's more your bag, maybe. Yeah, well, um, I want to start with I love the design of the Russian ship, which is called the Alexei Leonov. Alexei Leonov was the first person to walk in space. Um, just to be ah. clear, that's why it's called that. I just really like how that ship looks. Um, the way the the cabin spins and the way it's so angular compared to the Discovery being so round is a really great juxtaposition. It's also much smaller. So when you see them next to each other, there is this sort of reminder of you know the dueling ideas and things at play, even just in how these things look and feel and interact with one another. Um, but I think a lot of the technology, especially for the spacewalking is really interesting and weird, like a handheld booster that can push people and things away, I think is really, yeah. it's just weird and cool. And it kind of looks like a propane tank with like a dish on it or like a circle on it that has like a thruster in it. It's really weird. Um, and there's like a, there's a, like a track you can ride between the ships once they access the discovery um that i think yeah, is really that's interesting really cool. that's and really cool yeah just this back and forth like a physical back and forth there's an ideological back and forth there's an aesthetic back and forth like i think it does a lot with that that i think is really interesting and i think this can also talk about the effects because you know the ships are miniatures and they look really good and yeah. all, this, all the suits look great. The sets look great. Like we've talked about the production design is A1. There's some blue screen that hasn't aged super great. And Yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about. And you know what? I looked that up walks. afterward. And did I? I'm pretty sure I read that that wasn't blue screen. But I don't understand what that means because it looks... Dude, there's no way that... Hang on. There's no way that wasn't blue screen. Yeah, take a break and look it up quickly. Special and, and effects. Wikipedia page. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, have, I had it up already. Instead, a process known as front light backlight filming was used. The models were filmed as they would appear in space. Then a white background was placed behind the model. And the first pass was repeated. Blue screen is used once. But other than that... Yeah, and it was basically for the pen, it was right? it was yeah it was the pen. That's weird because it looks bad. Like I just want to looks... be clear, it looks like there's blue around the outside of them sometimes, and also yeah. it looks not great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, you know, I read that and I'm like, hey, I respect that they realized, you know, this has a this is threatening to look blue screeny. Let's not use blue screen. And but, then it looks like blue screen. But it looks all blue but on my screen. The miniatures look really good. The surface of Europa got an audible gasp out of me that's how good the ice looked when the probes going down i thought that looked spectacular and yeah and i i loved the way the light looks when it shoots away from it too yeah and I, I, that's what i was about to say like these those electromagnetic bursts or whatever they are are beautiful and then there's also just moments where as they slingshot around there's sort of a graphic parallel with um when david enters the monolith in the first movie where helen mirren is sitting in this control room and is just washed in all this crazy light um, as they're mm -hmm. slingshotting around this, which is, I think, l looks really striking, especially compared to the fact that, you know, Floyd and the other woman are just, like, in a plain room. 
I really like that. So I think the movie looks great. And if you don't have much else to add on how it looks, we can we can get to probably the PS de resistance of this whole discussion, which is gonna be that last like thirty five minutes. Mm-hmm. How do you wanna? I wanna let you go first. Um. Well, maybe I should should I explain it a bit, like what happens, just so we're super clear with folks who maybe haven't seen it yet. No, dude. Yeah, explain it to me okay. too. I'd love okay. Okay. <laughs> um. So, I mean, I'm going to use the word explain loosely. I'm going to say what happened. I'm not going to say I know what that means, but I'm going to say, you know, what the movie does, which is, so they're posted up outside this monolith out front of Jupiter, and they've got the Discovery back online. They're retraining Hal. Things are going more or less according to plan. And there's a moment where... Floyd gets a message he gets a warning which is basically y'all have to leave in two days and it's been established that they have the fuel so that they're able to leave for earth in about a month and to do anything else would effectively kill them by either running out of fuel or having them leave off course so at first Floyd insists that this is a weird prank that maybe John Lithgow is pulling or whoever else but Hal is able to relay to him that David Bowman's essence or spirit or whatever he was before his data even it's not clear because we don't know how the monoliths work is still present in some way and is on the ship with him he turns around and david is there and he follows yeah them. that was awesome he, that was first awesome. of all terrifying that sequence is scary like he's just yeah. there and he follows them down this hallway into where the escape pods are and there's this red hallway that they exit from and this figure of David is cutting between the different ages we see him at in the end of 2001. Like he's a young man, he's middle-aged and is then he's old and then it varies in all these ways. And um, he explains how something wonderful is going to happen, but you can't be here. It's dangerous for you to be here. You have to leave. And having seen, you know, the man he thought he got killed, effectively Floyd goes against orders because the war is on and parlays with the Russians and are like, yo, we got to get out of here and starts trying to convince folks. And alongside that, the probe that was sent to the monolith is sort of shot away and electromagnetic signal gets sent back toward earth. And here is one of my favorite things in the whole movie, hands down, which is we see David Bowman's wife, former wife because he was presumed dead watching a news bulletin about what is effectively an impending war like the war is basically on and the screen starts to fuzz and fade and morph and you get this fuzzy image of david with weird almost starlight in his eyes trying to relay to his wife you know this incredible thing's going to happen the essence of david bowman wanted to get back in touch with you how are you doing is your new husband a good man? Like, are you happy and loved? And it's this really profound, deeply moving thing, a deeply human thing. Again, this movie is, this movie is deeply human in a way that it also treats its technology and its space essences with a profound humanity. And I really love that. But so there's this, there's this beautiful interaction between them. And, Later on, we see her having been put into, like, a home, like a retirement home, effectively, and she's on life support, can't breathe, 
on her own, can't really move comatose, presumably from the experience that she had with this sort of force. And we yeah, see, dude. And we yeah. see uh that she first of all, uh it cuts to the nurse at the reception desk and she's reading a Time magazine. And I don't know if you noticed this, but did you notice who the leaders were? on the cover yeah i knew i knew one of them i had to look up who the other one was i reckon the other him. one's just the author of the book yeah yeah but yeah so as the russian premier is stanley kubrick and the prime minister is arthur c clark or the president is arthur c clark and that's good but so the the wife his wife i need to get her name i can't just say the wife what kind of show do we run betty betty i've just realized are these different people is that his mom and one of them's his wife or is this the same person um, I had never considered that it was Betty being put into the retirement home. Oh yeah, that's his mom. Okay, never mind. <laughs> I mean, it's the point's the same. It's just not the same human. But she is thrust up, sitting, and telepathically brushes her hair <laughs> in mm. in the most surprising one of the most surprising scenes in the whole movie because I didn't, I wasn't. I wasn't fucking prepared for that. How could you be? <laughs> Just mystery telepathy. And yeah, so you immediately get this sense of like the inability to understand what this is and how profound its forces can reach and sort of what we're dealing with. Floyd then, you know, goes to try to organize them to leave and they start to do that. And then we get into a lot of more about how Hal works. But before we get there, I want you to say anything else that you sort of thought about how it's handling how it handles david and the monolith both in sort of like what it represents and what it means and how they talk about it and whatever you want to get into um oh gosh well i think david and the monolith in this film uh particularly in the sequences you were just talking about mm -hmm. are just as scary as they are in the final act of 2001 um, just as unsettling to me. Yeah, and, is scary and, the word, or is it just sort of imposing and uncanny? It's imposing and uncanny in such a grandiose way that it scares me. Okay, sure. I don't think it's you know a horror movie or anything, but like I'm scared, and in the in the same way that I'm scared by the giant space baby at the end of 2001. <laughs> yeah, I've heard from people that like they've. They find that image very comforting and and beautiful and poetic. And I, but I just saw it and I was like terrified. Like it was one of because it's just so large. Like not just in scale, but just in terms of like meaning. You know, like it's um I don't know what it means, but it's just like it's so so big, and I just can't handle it. And it's so and so David and the monolith are the same way in that like they have transcended uh. Um, what I understand about like what human life is so much in the same way that I'm comforted by things that take place on earth and are recognizable to me. This is like so far on the other end of the spectrum that it, it very much unsettles me. And so, um, so everything that you just talked about uh, with David and the monolith and, and David appearing on the screen as like an extension of the monolith um as he talks to his talks to his ex-wife i thought all that stuff was sure certainly beautiful but also um uh you know very 
it makes me kind of want to get into the fetal position and um, uh, know that I need to like contemplate my life, but also I don't, but also I don't want to, right? Like, right. I'm too scared. The questions too are too big. They're too much for one human to just sit down. Sit down right, and right. The questions are too big and the answers are even bigger. There's a line in this movie where, you know, yeah. Um, Someone says, "I think I fear that the the answers are going to be a lot bigger than the questions." Yeah, there's a lot Floyd, of there's a lot of really cool lines. Floyd in, is in narrating here. a letter, and I love that this movie has narration in it. I just think that's hilarious. Yeah, I think before yeah. we get into the how stuff and the actual ending, we've talked a lot about this movie's humanity and also its uncanniness in all the ways. And I think that seems like the obvious point to talk about the performances in this movie, uh, which are generally, I think, really good. Um, I think my biggest complaint is at moments Roy Scheider's character is kind of in- insufferable, but yeah, Roy, did, did, Roy Scheider being Floyd, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think there's just moments where like he's a bit too smarmy or a bit too snarky, and it's just kind of obnoxious. But for all of those, there's just really great. You know, these people look scared and uncertain and concerned and they talk to each other with a frankness but also a disjunction because there's a language barrier mm-hmm. and helen mirren is great i don't know where she picked up russian but god bless her for it um, yeah john lithgow i think is fantastic as a guy in a position he should not be in <laughs> in a lot of cases um and also someone yeah. who's deeply sympathetic uh both in his own way and to other people um the loss of the max character hits that hits john lithgow really hard and that's a really sort of profoundly emotional thing um and i think dr chandra who is played by um bob balaban yeah from seinfeld he was in seinfeld was he who wasn't on seinfeld but like i didn't know that yeah uh he's fantastic when dealing with hal yeah um, yeah from the very beginning from first the, scene you from see with him sal, with sal there's a with sal, sal yeah. yeah there's a sal computer uh that is just you know a, an update because Hal had theoretically been lost but he speaks softly and calmly and with a deep understanding of how to relate to others and there's a there's just something that feels so warm about how he interfaces, not interfaces, that's too unfair a word just because it's technology, but how he speaks to Hal and tries to reassure Hal and recognizes that as an artificial intelligence, nonetheless, was, you know, programmed to be curious and thoughtful and helpful and understanding and, you know, all these things that people are and there's nothing that stops Hal from needing to be treated with that level of humanity as they established that it was the simple fact that Hal was lied to in the original that mm. kept the mission from going off well because had Hal been updated on the situation or reprogrammed or given these tools, it could understand the situation. But in this case, that's not what happened. So here, when it comes down to we need to get out of here um and how wants to know why because it jeopardizes the mission and monoliths are coming and eating the planet jupiter which clearly seems like the thing that we're here to study you know why do we have to leave and dr chandra just is honest and that moment of just 
transparency is really sweet and really moving because it feels like a moment where the movie starts inching its way toward its sort of profound point here, which is that the thing that the monolith is able to impart on us now, much like when in 2001, it sort of, you know, the, the Neanderthals from the opening learn how to use tools, right? Well, here it's, it's more about giving us emotional tools and it's giving us the, the clarity of mind to be thoughtful to other forms of life that are not our own, but also just to each other and treating ourselves thoughtfully. That message yeah. that gets sent out at the end, you know, all these worlds are yours except Europa. Attempt no landing here. Use them together. Use them in peace. It can feel a little bit ham-fisted, but that doesn't take away from the the meaning of it all. Yeah, I think it certainly does in the scene where uh, Dr. Chandra is speaking to Hal and um, and is honest with him. It feels like a culmination not only of, of um, the arc that these characters have in this story, but it feels like a culmination of the story told over both films, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. Because we have this revelation that Hal was instructed to lie, which we don't know after seeing 2001, right? Like, that's that's a revelation that is specific to this movie and changes the way we look at 2001. And, um, and so I think that in this scene... Um, we're we're finally getting somewhere that 2001 uh, didn't get to, right? It wasn't it wasn't concerned with getting to because it had different things that it needed to deal with. And so, so in this scene, it's it's another reminder to me that that this movie does need to exist because, again, that's what I'm thinking of when I see this movie. I've at this point I've already decided that this is. Um, necessarily a sequel, right? It needs to be a continuation of 2001 story. It's not just uh, an, an, another science fiction space tale. It's it's necessarily a sequel, but I'm wondering, is it a necessary sequel, right? Is it a movie? Is it a movie that needs to exist? It it has to be a sequel, but does it have to be? You know, is is a question that I'm wondering. And so, in a scene like this, um, where we're honest with Hal and and Hal understands that and he does this countdown anyway, right? Knowing that he's that he's going to die and the humans are gonna be saved. I think something like that makes me think, oh yeah, this movie this movie I think does need to exist and it does need to exist in relation to two thousand one. So I think that's the scene actually that really that really solidified it for me. Yeah, and there's something nice about how understated it is, yet it leaving such an impact like when you watch it. I want to quote Roger Ebert here. Um, This is something I read on the Wikipedia page as well. I swear we read more things than Wikipedia about these movies. Wikipedia is just convenient. I promise. But um, So he agrees that it matches the poetry and mystery of the original. um, But he says, quote, has an ending that is infuriating, not only in its simplicity, but in its inadequacy to fulfill the sense of anticipation, the sense of wonder we felt at the end of 2001. He concluded, however, quote, and yet the truth must be told. This is a good movie. Once we've drawn our lines, once we've made it absolutely clear that 2001 continues to stand absolutely alone as one of the greatest movies ever made, once we have freed 2010 of the comparisons with Kubrick's masterpiece, what we are left with is a good-looking, sharp-edged, entertaining, exciting space opera. I think a lot of that is 
fair. Mm. However, yeah, he's a great writer. Uh, dude, Roger Ebert's the he's a legend. But I don't totally agree. I think that when he says the once we've drawn our lines, it's clear that what he means is that we're not looking for the same things in 2010 that we're seeing in 2001 because they're not the same kind of movie. But I think once we have freed 2010 of the comparisons with Kubrick's masterpiece, I think you have to be careful about how seriously you take that because I think if you're comparing, you know, how it handles these themes and how it elevates them and continues to push them forward, I think it's maybe not entirely on the par. I do think the ending kind not comes out of left field but it does feel in a way like it rushes and in a way like it is almost overwhelmingly optimistic mm-hmm. um, the narration right That's, yeah it's kind of, well it's kind even, of shorthand even just the, even just the message of the message sent by the monolith itself but also just the i don't think there's anything wrong with deeply optimistic art and i think we need deeply optimistic art now especially things that face you know potentially world ending things and treat it with a willingness to move on i think that's important and i think that you should be comfortable comparing this movie with 2001 i don't think that anybody's gonna say that this is a better movie than 2001 but i think if you're not comfortable making the comparison then you're wasting your time with this movie because they're so related and i think they do work so well together that you may as well just go all the way um and i think that's an important thing to make clear that while maybe if the ending ending is a little bit quick and a little bit ham fisted, the thematic conclusions it comes to and the deep humanity it brings to that and the humanity that sort of resonates throughout it, even when it has stumbles of being patronizing or whatever else, I think it's really important and it's part of what makes it so good. And I had a really great experience watching this and I'm really grateful for that. Yeah, dude, for sure. And I, I've i had, I think, a greater experience with this movie after talking about it. You know, I think it's, I think it's one of those movies that um, it's it says a lot and it does a lot, but it doesn't... <laughs> and so does 2001, but this movie doesn't do and say a lot the same way 2001 does, right? You, you kind of need to... They're two need very to different about, things. They're very different. And so you need to... You need to talk about it and think about it um, uh, just as much as that as that former film. But it's just I think it's a bit easier to see that 2001 is is doing things, whereas this movie, it's like you said, it is a bit more understated. And um, but I'm, I still think there's a lot going on there. Yeah. Uh, sorry to cut it. I think I'm what I might just say is and this is this is I don't have better words for this. 2001 is certainly more it is more of an art piece than this movie this movie feels like a movie 2001 feels like a profound artistic experience this doesn't always but it feels like a profound human experience in a way and maybe profound might be laying it on a little thick in the hindsight because i've watched it so recently to this recording but i remember just being struck by how much i liked about it and how moving it was and how engrossed i was and i think that that is an important thing to consider especially when the original here is such a monolith in its own right in cinematic history that like 2010 is not a slouch in that regard 
Right. Yeah. And I feel like <laughs> I could just I could tell that this movie was um, written and directed by someone who loves 2001 and they're talented themselves and they're like, hey, this is great. There, there's another book about it. So the foundation is there. There's more to say. Um, I'm going to do a movie of my own. I know I can't make 2001, but you know, I love 2001. And so I can still make something that, that has those same sensibilities and is concerned with a lot of the same things, right? It's just more of your typical movie because, because that's what most people, uh, not most people, because but that's how most, Stanley Kubrick. yeah, that's how, mo that's how most directors know how to make a movie, right? Yeah. You know, most who aren't Stanley Kubrick. Yeah. Before we wrap, I actually, I want to talk about the music. The music's really good. <laughs> Um, and the music, I noticed a lot of things in it that are subtle, but I really liked the one that comes to mind. Um, I guess I'll say a lot of the score is electronic while in space. Um, and I noticed more string instruments coming in when they were on earth. I liked that. That's an obvious sort of thing to pull, but, uh, it's good. Um, there was a lot of music in the movie, man. Just really, really, um, bolsters up the the images and in most cases makes them eerie to me but like in a cool way the music that's playing when when we're uh seeing the two sons at the end of the film scared me deeply and then yeah. we see the monolith in the water and the music is going yeah and then it just oh, cuts yeah do you mean the monolith on europa which it's turned into yeah. like a jungle oh yeah dude, that's ominous as fuck <laughs> like yeah it's terrifying it, um this movie really knows how to thread a needle between like optimistic and moving and just heart-wrenching and scary yeah i i don't know how much i um side with roger eber when he says that the ending of this movie is unsatisfying you know what it leaves us with because i i'm i'm with him and i think i'm with you that the narration and a lot of those ideas that are brought up right at the end through the you know the memo back to earth and stuff i think that stuff is a bit um it ties too pretty a bow around the movie mm, yeah, very yeah. quickly but the the final image of the monolith on europa and the music and the two sons like that stuff the movie ended and i think i felt pretty similar to how i felt when i saw the space baby in just that uh oh my god we're not alone Corey. yeah <laughs> yeah no. and i think the the greatest gift it gives is the same one that 2001 gives which is being thought provoking i don't think it's as much of a buffet as maybe 2001 is there's not as much to pick through and maybe not as much to think about that is as open to interpretation, but that doesn't mean it's not something that's really riveting to witness and then discuss. And I think that's a super valuable experience for anybody to have. And I think, you know, would I recommend this movie? Absolutely. Extremely. I'd give it a, the highest recommendation I could give it. I think it's quite good. And I think especially if you're someone who's a fan of 2001, this might be required viewing. Like you may as well see it. Like it's something, it's an experience you should have. But do you need to have seen a 2001? Do you think? I think it would help. Um, yeah, yeah. You could get away help. with not seeing it, but I think that this works best as a continuation. And I think for the continuation to be effective, you should know where you're coming from. Yeah, totally. But I really don't think I could recommend it enough. And I want to put 
a friend of mine on blast he knows who he is who said that this movie was trash when i said i was gonna watch it he's wrong he's super fucking wrong <laughs> we should have we should have got him on the podcast i'm curious as to why yeah may, well maybe maybe we'll if, he, if he's ever here which i think he might be uh we'll grill him for that uh yeah but and i guess you know it feels like your answer is inevitably yes, but I'm sure would you, you would recommend this as well, clearly. I absolutely would. I think I don't think I would recommend it to someone who isn't a fan of 2001 just because I would like, why would I not just recommend 2001 first, right? Certainly. And then, D- and then great if double not, feature. If you've got a data kill. Great double feature. And if you're not a fan of 2001 for whatever reason, I guess there's a chance that you would dig this because if you're not into 2001, you know, it might be the lack of... Uh, typical movie structure which this has so you might be into it but if you're just like not into sci-fi and you're not into the to the concepts at all that 2001 provides you know i wouldn't suggest this but i would absolutely suggest it to anyone who loves 2001 and um i think it's really an interesting (laughs) example of of what we might find doing this show because it's a movie that few people know exists everyone knows 2001 exists but uh this had very few people know that this exists and it doesn't come across the way i thought it would at all it's not it's not leeching off what 2001 did it's not um copying what 2001 did it's not unnecessary um all these things that i thought it might be and i think the fact that it's based on a book has a lot to do with that um I would be a lot more trepidatious if it were just if it were just you know a sequel to a to a classic film that's an original story. Um, you know, if this movie were an original story, I, I would be a, a bit more concerned. Mm. But um, but I think I think this is absolutely a really unique example of stuff we might we might find doing the show because it's it's completely different than than any um, oft forgotten installment in a franchise that we've covered thus far yeah i find it shocking that this had so little cultural staying power um especially even in conversation about the original like it comes up so little you genuinely would not think it existed which is super strange um it's it's just hard to stand next to what 2001 is right it's 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 such a beast and so you know even though it, we we looked at this movie because of uh, the premise of our show, and so we say, "Hey, that's that's a that's a perfect that's a perfect example of the kind of thing we're looking for." So that's why we watched it. But I can I can totally and that's why we're talking about it, and and it's why I'm liking it even more after talking about it. But I can totally understand someone even after seeing this, maybe forgetting about it if if they're not if it's not something they're really looking to dive into because. You know, you put anything next to 2001 and it, and it kind of gets dwarfed. Yeah, it, you know, you, you could say that uh, this movie maybe flew its probe too close to the monolith of 2001 and it got shot horribly into space, the space of cultural memory, and we never heard from it again until now. <laughs> yeah, but, but I, I got another I gotta... one In another one of my patented bad analogies. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta start keeping track. But uh I think I'm I think, think I'm, pa- I'm a pace for one an episode. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's something that the filmmakers are likely very proud of. And I think they they probably knew that it's it's something that it's not gonna stack up, right? It's it's why the director called Stanley Kubrick for permission because it's just it's such a such a big task. And so it's like 
Um, if we can make a movie that some people dig, especially fans of 2001, that's awesome. But you're going up against something so big that that you know you gotta all you can do is make the best movie you can and and hope that some people dig it i think the same thing might be happening here with um a movie coming out called dr sleep which is Mm. a sequel to the shining which is a very famous book maybe even a more famous movie by stanley kubrick and now we have a director making a sequel to the film the shining that's also based on a book on a book that is the sequel to the original novel. And so if, it, if it truly Sleep, is fascinating. If Dr. Sleep is as good as this movie, it will be a success. Yeah. And so, you know, maybe maybe 15 years from now, 20 years from now, we're going to do an episode on Dr. Sleep. Maybe it'll be a, they made another one or, you know, maybe not. I don't know. Speaking don't know. of outrageous optimism, we're going to be doing this show in 20 years. Well, if anything, we can we can have a reunion episode for <laughs> Dr. Sleep. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll sell outrageous tickets at the door. Um, yeah. I think here is a good place for us to get in our weird space pod, fly too close to a monolith, and get shot into podcast space until next week. So thank you all once again for listening huh? to another episode of They Made Another One. Uh, <laughs> you can find us all over the internet on Twitter at They Made Another, all one word. On SoundCloud, soon to be Apple Podcasts and other services as They Made Another One. You can reach us via email at They Made Another One Pod at gmail.com with recommendations for future episodes, comments, questions, and interpretations of the ending of 2001 A Space Odyssey. We will do our best to get back to everybody who reaches out to us. Liam, where can people find you? You guys can find my film writing, Alter Ego Graham the Haunted Marshmallow, on Twitter and Letterboxd. That's Graham the Mallow. And for now, you can find me at Mr. Corey Price on Twitter. That is M-R-C-O-R-E-Y Price. And I'll have a wide array of bad tweets and soon more writing once I get to that point. But with that out of the way, we will catch you here next time, next week, for more They Made Another One. <laughs>